The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would please, and open them to... Matthew chapter 27, and today I'd like for us to take another look at verses 15 through 25. We've already studied these in two previous messages, but I want to look at this at in just a little bit more practical way as we discuss this man named Barabbas who should have been crucified, but Jesus took his place. And these verses actually remind me of a Another story that we see in Acts chapter 19 when Paul was at Ephesus. He was healing healing people and casting out demons. And uh, he was gaining quite a bit of notoriety. And there were some Jewish exorcists that were there. And they also claimed that they were able to cast out demons. The Bible says that they were sons of one of the uh, chief priests whose name was Siva. And they said, we can cast out demons. But they were having trouble with a particularly hard case. And so they noticed how that the Apostle Paul was casting out the demons, and as he did, he called on the name of the Lord Jesus. And so these uh, these exorcists, Jewish exorcists, figured, well, we can do this too if we use the name of the Lord Jesus. And so they turned to a demon-possessed man, and they said to him, we adjure thee by Paul, whom, or by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And you might note that word adjure because that's one that Caiaphas used in the trial of Jesus. But they used the name of Jesus. And that demon that was in the man spoke back to those exorcists. And he said, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? And that just kind of reminds me of what we have here as we read this story in Matthew chapter 27. Jesus we know. Pilate, we know. Judas, we know. The chief priests and the elders, we know. But just who is this man that's named Barabbas? Well, I'd like for us to look at this for just a few minutes today and talk about the only man in the history of the world who can say in a physical sense that Jesus died for me. Matthew chapter 27. Let's stand as we read God's Word. Verse number 15. Matthew 27, 15. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whither are the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, 
saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, help us to look into this story and understand what you'd have us to know from your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We've examined the text of Matthew 26 and 27. And in those chapters we find the arrest and the trials of Jesus. And you remember there were two trials that Jesus went through. One of them was an ecclesiastical trial. That's the trial that he had before the Jewish leadership. And then there was a second trial, and that was before Pilate, who was the governor of Judea. And each of those trials had three phases, and in each trial, through three phases, or six phases in total, they never did find any kind of charge that would stick or was right against Jesus. He was not guilty of a crime. And when I was preaching on the Jewish trials of Jesus, I I received a little bit of flack from someone who was in the neighborhood. And this person was very unhappy with the sign that we had out front where I had the title of the sermon. And the sermon said, Justice Mocked by the Jews. And that person happened to write a letter in uh, the Community Voice, the local paper here in Roner Park and Katati. And this person claimed that Brian Baptist Church is anti-Semitic. And so the neighbor said that the Jews did not crucify Christ, but rather it was the Romans that did the deed. And the claim was that there was no injustice that was done to Jesus by the Jews, and so the blame should go entirely to the Romans. Now it's obvious that this person in the neighborhood had not read the New Testament because Peter charged the Jews with the crucifixion in his sermon on Pentecost, and I can tell you several other places in the scriptures where they were accused, but Peter was there. And I'm quite sure that the neighbor was not there. And Peter charged them with a crime because the only reason that Jesus was brought before the Romans was because they were the ones that brought the original unjust charges against him. They held a mock trial. And that's not a statement of anti-Semitism. That's just a statement of the facts, the historical facts of what happened in that trial. The Jewish leaders actually forced Pilate's hand. And in that very bleak moment that we just read a moment ago, they they said, his blood be on us and on our children. And so they wanted Barabbas to be set free and the truly innocent one to be condemned. And yet despite that blatant hypocrisy and their bleak morality, the Romans were also responsible because Pilate had the ability, he had the power to release Jesus if he wanted to, But he loved his job more than he loved his eternal soul. It was more expedient for him to crucify Jesus than to let him go. And thus the truth is established in that, looking at Jews and Gentiles, that all of us stand guilty before God. Our conscience has been affected by sin. And all of us will decide to crucify rather than to exonerate Jesus. Now Barabbas was a very, very bad man. But none of us is any better. All of us are are bad to the bone. And what we really need to thank God for is that he sent Christ and he was willing to die for us to free us from these awful decisions that we make. 
Now in verse 14 of the chapter, Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And that question was a mocking one. It made little difference to the outcome here because Jesus was innocent and Pilate already knew that. And still Pilate gave him up to the crucifixion. Now we know that he was not guilty of trying to overthrow Rome. Jesus had never incited anyone against the Roman government. In fact, as we read scripture, we find the most scathing words that Jesus used were reserved for his own people. He said, your house is going to be left to you desolate. He said, the temple is going to be destroyed. And in just a few years, indeed, it was. And that house of cards that the Jewish leaders had built came crashing down. And the prediction in that was that Rome would destroy them. And so hardly would Jesus try to incite any kind of action against Rome because then that would nullify the prophecy that he made. So Jesus was not there to be any kind of a political savior for the Jewish people or anyone else because there just wasn't anything political worth saving. Now Pilate never understood the spiritual implications of what Jesus taught, but he did know this, Jesus was innocent and it would have been so much easier for him if Jesus was guilty because then he could crucify Jesus and everything would be right and the problem would be solved. He could do it justly and at the same time he could satisfy the Jewish leadership. But that problem remained. Jesus was innocent. And when Pilate handed down his judgment, he said, I find no fault in him at all. Now, if Jesus had been guilty then there's no reason for me to call anyone to repentance. There's no one reason for me to preach the gospel to people and tell them to turn from sin uh, to faith in Jesus Christ. There's no reason to do that. I can't tell you that you're guilty and bad to the bone, except that it comes into the context of the innocence of Jesus Christ. Now, at any rate, though, it does seem impossible that two of the best legal systems in the world could have disintegrated to perform this unjust action. But it happened. And the Scripture said it would happen, and Jesus said that it would happen. And we look at that today, and we wonder about that, and how something like that could happen, and yet we fail to consider that in the choices that we make every single day, that many times we are crucifying Jesus and letting Barabbas go free. And so we're guilty just as the Jews were guilty, just as the Romans were guilty. Well, we turn our attention then to this very unusual development in the Roman trial. And this is the story of Barabbas and how that he was set free and Jesus took his place. I'd like us to consider, first of all today, the people's choice. When they were faced with this question of whether to crucify Jesus or release Barabbas, the people made their choice. Pilate asked in verse 21, Whither of the twain, or which of these two, will ye that I release unto you? And the answer came back to him, Barabbas. And then Pilate asked, Well, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And they said, Let him be crucified. The people chose Barabbas. Now, Jesus we know. But who is this person, Barabbas? Well, that's a very interesting question. And you might not realize this, but there are actually more verses in the Bible about Barabbas than there are about Judas. We know Judas, we know him very well, and there are more verses about Barabbas than Judas, but we still don't know very much about Barabbas. 
I don't think that any of us would argue that Jesus is the central character of the Bible. Even though you might not see the name Jesus in the Old Testament, yet that whole story is the story about him and how the world was preparing for his arrival. The Bible is the unfolding of God's plan of redemption. And that story of redemption is how that Jesus came into the world to save us from our sins. And there are millions, even billions of Bibles that have been printed to tell that story about Jesus. And there are millions upon millions of other books that have been written about Jesus as well. If you go into my office, you'll find the shelves are lined with commentaries and systematic theologies and other types of books that are written to tell us what Jesus did, who he is, what he came to do. What is the sense of all the work of Jesus when he came into the world? But it might also surprise you to learn that there are actually millions of books that have been written about this man, man Barabbas. Barabbas has his own niche in the Christian marketplace, in the book, in the book places, and in, in the bookstores, and there are millions of books that are written to, purported to tell the story of Barabbas. And that's even though we never find one word that Barabbas spoke in Scripture. There's all kinds of speculation about Barabbas, but there's no recording of any good works that he ever did. There's no positive statement that's made about him. There are no stories of anyone that he helped. The only thing that we learn about Barabbas is how bad that he was. That he was a very bad man. That's all we know about him. And yet the scripture says they chose Barabbas instead of Jesus. Mark tells us why he was in prison. He was a criminal. He hated Rome. He was a killer. In Mark 15 it says, Now at that feast he released, or Pilate released unto them, one prisoner whomsoever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them and had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. We don't know how or how many had joined with Barabbas, but there were some compadres of his that raised a violent ruckus, and in the process of that, they committed murder. We don't know who he murdered. It might have been a Roman, could have been a Jew, the Jewish zealots, Uh, If someone stood in their way, it didn't make any difference. If it was Roman or Jew, they would kill them. There's very little that we know about him, but we do glean at least two very important pieces of information about him from the Scriptures. And the first is that his sentence was proper. A proper sentence was laid against Barabbas. Now, whether he was a Jew or a Gentile, it's wrong to murder people. Now, we know that. We know that it's wrong to murder. It's also against God's law for anyone to lift their hand against the government. Well, the Bible tells us that government has been ordained by God. And I know that's often tough for us as American Christians to realize because most of the time it looks like our government has absolutely nothing to do with God or God had anything to do with it. And yet the Bible still says we are to obey our government. We accept the first part of this very easy, that it's wrong to kill people, it's wrong to murder, thou shalt not kill. That's not a problem for us at all. But we have difficulty with that next part, that we must acquiesce to our government. And it seems so strange because you look in the New Testament and you see how bad that the Roman government was as far as its treatment of Christians. And yet the Apostle Paul in his persecution and the persecution of those that he wrote to in the New Testament, he said to them, you must honor the government. He said, obey the government. He says in Romans 13 too, wherefore whosoever resisteth the power, and that means the government resisted the ordinance of God, 
And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. And we know that Jesus said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And so whether we agree with this or not, there are at least two counts for which Barabbas was in prison, and he's there for the right reasons. He's there because he committed murder and because he resisted the government. And then it also seems that this particular violence of Barabbas' crime was not supported by the Jews. Pilate never thought, not in his wildest imagination, never did he think that the people would want Barabbas released. None of them was going to say, well, it's unfair that Barabbas is in jail. I mean, even if you called his mother, she was not going to say, oh, you just don't understand Barabbas. He was raised to be a good boy, but he just got mixed up with the wrong crowd. He couldn't help what he did. And isn't that the same excuse that many parents use? Their kids got mixed up with the wrong crowd. They got into the bad company. And the parents never seem to consider their kids might be the bad company. But this is... His mother's not going to stand for him. I don't know if there were any social activists, uh, activists rather. I doubt very seriously there were any of them that stood out there and tried to defend Barabbas. He was bad to the bone, so I don't think there was anybody out there picketing. There was nobody with signs that said, Let Barabbas go! Let Barabbas go! Set him free! You're doing him injustice! Now you think about Barabbas, and you think about you and me, and we have to think that Barabbas is surely a picture of us. These kinds of things are not put in the Bible by accident. Jesus took the place of a criminal. And spiritually, no less did Jesus take the place of many, many criminals. Barabbas broke the law, and so have we. Barabbas was in jail for crimes against the imperfect government of Rome. And our crimes are worse because they're against the perfect government of God. The Bible says that we are sinners and sin is the transgression of God's law. And so the resistance that we put up against God is far worse. And it demands greater punishment because God is eternal. God is the, the king of the universe and our insurrection against God is the soul's capital offense. Listen to these condemning verses in Hebrews. The author says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite to the Spirit of grace. Do you understand that everyone who rejects the authority of Jesus Christ is guilty of trampling his blood under their feet. And isn't that the same as what the Jews did in the story? Oh, we forget about Barabbas for just a minute. Didn't each of them literally count the blood of Christ as nothing? When they beat him and they mocked him and sent him to the Romans to die, and didn't the Romans count his blood as nothing when they scourged him and humiliated him and then nailed him to the cross? And that's what God says that we're all guilty of. We've trampled the precious blood of Christ, under our feet. And for that, the sentence against us is proper. And our sentence is eternal death in the fires of hell. And that's just punishment that comes from a just God. And so there is no one who has the right to say, I don't deserve to suffer. I, I, I'm not at fault. 
I, I'm a product of my environment, so don't blame me. I just fell into bad company. Oh, God never accepts those excuses. The fault is yours. That's what Scripture says. The fault is mine. And we're held accountable for that. The sentence is just. And the punishment against us is just. Not long ago, I heard a preacher say, Well, it's not just for God not to give all people a chance to be saved. First of all, salvation's not by chance. But for someone to say something like that would be exactly the same thing as saying, well, the Roman government was not right to condemn Barabbas and not give him a chance to go free. We don't think like that, do we? We're not going to let murderers go free. No, the sentence here is proper. He should have been put to death. And every time that a sinner goes to hell, justice is served. And you might think that's harsh. You may say God is love, he won't send people to hell. But do you think that God's justice is more impaired than our government? Do we let murderers go free? And should God let the guilty go free? No, I never said that God delights in the destruction of the wicked. But I will say that God delights in justice. And if punishment in hell is justice, then God will do it because God always does what is right. What we have to do is to come to grips with that and stop inventing a God that's different from the one that's in the Bible. And when we do that, we're just nailing another nail in the coffin of our rebellion against God. Now secondly, we would note this, that his sentence was passed. That by the time we come to Barabbas in the scripture, it's already a foregone conclusion that he was going to be executed. There are no appeals. Roman government was, or justice was swift. And Barabbas was not going to die of old age before the execution. Now it's highly likely that that third cross that was made was the cross that Barabbas was going to die on. And on that day he would die with two other criminals that were complicit with him in his insurrection. So there was Barabbas in the dungeon and he's just hours away from the crucifixion. He wasn't sitting there waiting for the work release program to kick in. Oh, the next move for him is to hear those soldiers coming down the hallways of that prison and to hear them put the key into the lock and take him out of the cell and take him to a cross. And likewise, I can tell you that without Jesus Christ to take your place, you're headed to judgment. Barabbas was not waiting for a trial. The sentence is already passed. And likewise, when you go to the judgment of God, it is not to plead for your acquittal. You've already been condemned. Jesus said, for God, and by the way, once I quote this, don't forget, it comes right after John 16, 316. John 317, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Jesus didn't have to come into the world to condemn the world, it's condemned already. That's what God says, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Uh, you can see the words on the screen. Jesus said that. And when you meet God at the judgment, you'll come before him already condemned. And you'll meet him for the final phase of your sentencing. And that sentence is the lake of fire burning with brimstone, fire and brimstone. Oh, but there are many people who think that they're going to go to God's judgment like going to Sonoma Superior Court. There they'll go and they'll make a case. They'll present their oral arguments for 
why they should go free. I mean, you ask people, this, this is the common, common response. You say, are you going to heaven? And almost everybody says, well, I think so. I've done more good things than I've done bad. So they think that they're going to meet God and all their good deeds are going to be put into a scale, to the scales of justice. And if the good side outweighs the bad, then everything will be okay. Isn't it strange that everybody thinks that? Everybody thinks there's more good in me than there is bad, which is exactly the opposite of what God says. What if you come into the judgment and there are no good deeds to put on the scale? And that's where God says that we are. We've done nothing that's worth saving our souls. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God's glory, in fact, is perfection, 100% perfection. And unless you can come to God without even the minutest of sin in you, anything that you've done wrong, you're condemned to hell. Uh, you already know the answer to that, don't you? We, we, we need to quit fooling ourselves. All of us are bad to the bone. We don't have anything to plead to God. And then another interesting thing, how long have you been that way? Is it lately? Just lately you started doing bad things and now you're not so sure about it? Well, don't worry about lately because the Bible says it started much earlier than that. It started when you were born. Isaiah 58 verse 3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Oh, you might say, well, that's the Old Testament and Jesus came to change the Old Testament. He doesn't make such stringent claims now. Jesus is all about love and peace and harmony. Didn't you know this? Everything today is a Michael Jackson song. That's what we believe. Jesus doesn't send people to hell. Well, I invite you to hear Jesus again. Same verse, uh, John three eighteen. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You're condemned already. And what is the result of that condemnation? Matthew twenty five forty one. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So we hear it again, condemned already. And where are you in the picture? Well, according to Matthew 25, 41, you're standing on the left hand. And all those that are on the left hand who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior are headed for that lake of fire where the devil and the angels, his evil angels, are going to go. So, the sentence has already been passed for every unbeliever. And what you're doing is you're sitting in the jail cell of your life Waiting for the execution. Now I want you to understand very clearly that Barabbas was headed for a crucifixion. A cross that was made was for him. He was going to hang on that cross. And there's no question about what would happen to him. The only question to be decided was when. When is the hour of death? And that's the same question for Every person that's in this room, I just uh, it's, it's remarkable how the Lord can drop illustrations right into your sermon right while you're preaching it. But just Chuck told me right before uh, the service about the man who was in that ultralight who died in that crash there in, in uh, Petaluma. Do you think that when he got into that plane that he thought, well, I'm going to die. So I'll just get in here and start the engine and take off, but I'm going to die. Well, he didn't think that. 
He was sure he was going to return to the airport right side up with both wheels down and everything's going to be fine. But that's not the way that life always works out, does it? It doesn't work that way. We don't know the hour of our death. And so we have to be very cognizant of this, that we're going to die. And Barabbas sat there and he knew that he was going to die. The day and the hour was approaching and there was no other consideration. It's going to happen. But the people made their choice. They said, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Give us the murderer. Give us the seditionist. Let him go free and crucify Jesus. Well, next, we see Pilate's choice. I don't really need to take you down a long path here. We've already discussed Pilate's character in the previous messages. He was the governor, and he was governor because of political connections, not necessarily because he was an able ruler. So no one expected real justice from Pilate because he was embroiled in all of his political troubles. He often, as we learned, executed people without a fair trial. So that makes it all the more curious why Paul, or Pilate rather, didn't just hand Jesus over at the very first. Why are we going through all of these things? Why didn't he just tell the Jews, have your way with him and be done with it? But there seems to be that little bit of conscience left that's in Pilate. And then it may be true that there was reluctance to crucify him because what he didn't want to do was to satisfy the Jews. He didn't want to be any help to them. But nevertheless, Pilate did understand enough to know there is no reason for Jesus to be there. That he was there because they envied him. And that point comes out in verse number 18. And so after listening to the charges, he was determined to let him go. Now in Acts chapter 3, in Peter's second sermon, which was much like the first one that he preached on Pentecost, which by the way tells you that don't get too upset when my sermons sound like others. Peter's second sermon sounded almost like his first. And in Acts 3.13, he said, The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Pilate was determined to let him go. In our text, Pilate said, What evil has he done? And another part of it, his wife had a dream and she said, Have nothing to do with that just man. In John 19, the people said, Crucify him because he makes himself the son of God. And that was a frightening statement to Pilate. Could he be... One of the gods that's come down from Mount Olympus. Do you remember the story in Acts how that some of the people thought that Barnabas was Jupiter and that Paul was Mercury? They, they saw the healings that they were able to do, the miracles they did. How much more would Pilate think that Jesus could be one of the gods who's come down? Look at all that he did. That's no stranger to Pilate. Everybody had seen what Jesus did. He was legendary. Pilate heard all that, and he should have let him go. He said to Jesus, well, I have the power to release you or to crucify you. And Jesus said, you don't have any power against me, except it's given you from above. And you could imagine that Pilate trembled at that statement also. He was worried about the storm of the gods that was about to hit. But still, Pilate did not let him go. It wasn't politically expedient to let him go. And so he chose to save his job and to keep the Roman peace. How does this happen? He found no fault in him. The disciples 
followed Jesus because he's full of grace and truth. Judas returned the blood money because he said he was innocent. The, the chief priests had to hire false witnesses because Jesus was innocent. Pilate's wife found no fault in him. Pilate found no fault in him. How does it happen when everybody can't find fault in Jesus? Well, it only happened because Jesus was willing to go to the cross. Now, there's so much more here than just the immediate circumstances that are involved. This is about dying for the sins of the world. For sins, past, present, and future. And I'm telling you that Jesus was on that cross even though the best judicial systems in the world were used. He was on that cross even though no one found a reason for him to be there. He was there even though he said that he could call 12 legions of angels to set him free. He's there only because he chose to be there. And he chose to be there for you and for me and for those that trust in him. John 10, Jesus said, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received from my Father. So the verdict of two trials can't go any other way. The cross is commanded. At the same time, the Jews and the Romans did what they wanted to do. But this is God's plan that he would die. And not once did Jesus make a plan to escape the cross. Now, do you remember that, that the disciples tried to convince him to stay away from Jerusalem? And do you remember that Peter tried to stop him and Jesus recognized that Satan had put that protest in his heart? And Jesus said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. And do you remember that Jesus knocked down the entire mob with just the sound of his voice when they came to arrest him? And yet, at the next moment... He willingly goes with them. You know, I'm not sure how that happened, but they all fell to the ground when Jesus spoke, and maybe Jesus went over, let me help you up, let's go. Let's go, it's time to go to the cross. That's really what we're looking at here. He's willing to go to the cross. Why? He said, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. In Mark 10, he said, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. We are talking about otherworldly stuff here. This was determined and agreed upon before the world was created. And despite all the tear-jerking, short-sighted preachers that say that Jesus was a victim of the legal system. None of that's true. Jesus went to the cross because he wanted to go there. And maybe I should have included a point for that. The people's choice, Pilate's choice, and the Prince of Peace choice. So ultimately, everything that happens here is decided by his choice. You have no power against me except it's given from above. Now, I think you get the point of that, so we'll move on to the last choice. And this one you need to really pay close attention. Third is your personal choice. Let me set the stage with this question. Do you know of anyone that has found fault with Jesus? Now, for sure, we've read in the scriptures, no one could find fault with him there. But have you ever met anyone that found fault with Jesus? Have you ever met someone who said, well, I know Jesus. I've become acquainted with him and he's just not who he said that he was. Ever heard anybody say that? 
Now, I, I have to confess that there are many that have come to Christ and they find out that he's not who they thought that he was. They find a different Jesus than the common conventions and the common ideas of who he is. They thought that he would be much different. But then they finally got down to reading the scriptures and see what the scriptures have to say about him. They found a different Jesus, but they still didn't find any fault in him. So you never find anybody who says, well, you know that Jesus, he's a liar. And nobody ever says that Jesus is a cheat. Nobody says that Jesus is a murderer. Nobody has ever said that Jesus is bad to the bone. No, the most awkward thing about Jesus is the choice that we make against him when we compare ourselves to him. Now let me return to Pilate for just a minute. Pilate was maneuvered into his choice. He just really misunderstood the overwhelming hatred that the Jewish leaders had for him. He didn't understand the deep-seated malice that was there. He thought that when the people were presented with a much worse choice, that of course they would choose Jesus, not Barabbas. But all of the people went against reason. And you know why? And the real reason is the comparison. The real reason is the human heart that doesn't like to be put up against perfection, which always makes our imperfection stick out like pimples on young skin. They went against reason. And the reason is the comparison. That The reason they went against him is the comparison. The real reason is the human heart that does not like to be put up against perfection. Now Barabbas was their choice. Why? Because he was more like them. Barabbas was like them, more like them than Jesus. Do you understand that? Barabbas was a murderer. And what are they about to do? They're about to murder Jesus. Now, Barabbas was a kindred spirit to them. Murder was always their plan. Two years before it was their plan. Back in chapter 12, then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. Two years or longer, their plan is in the works. And I don't know if Barabbas' plan was premeditated at all. Perhaps in the heat of the moment, Barabbas killed someone, but not these people. For two years, they've been planning this. They were murderers, just like Barabbas. And what will happen? The world will always choose its own. Jesus told the disciples, if you were of the world, the world would love his own, because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. All of us need to read those kinds of scriptures and really, really understand how deep, how deep the depravity of our hearts is and how much we must have the Holy Spirit. And that's because our depravity goes to the bone. Murder is in your heart. Hatred is in your heart. It's in the marrow of your bones. Jesus said, out, out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts and murders and adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Do you see why they chose Barabbas? They chose a murderer over the master. They chose a robber over the redeemer. Don't ever underestimate the power of your wicked heart. But I would suggest that there may be some here that really don't want to think about this choice. Don't want to think about it at all. I mean, like Pilate, they think what they can do is just wash their hands of Jesus. And they can walk away from him with no guilt. And so their decision about Jesus is neutrality. Is that an option? Does the Bible present us an option that you can be neutral about Jesus? Do you believe seriously in your mind that Pilate was not guilty because he stood there with a basin of water and washed his hands and said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person? Do you really believe that Pilate was innocent because he did that? 
And same way with the message that I bring you today. You can't walk away from a message like this with no responsibility. You hear about Jesus Christ. There's a decision to be made about Jesus Christ. And you can't leave without responsibility. Now think a moment what's on Barabbas' mind. He, he was sitting in that dungeon. He's waiting for them to take him to death. He knew that the time of execution was drawing near. So he heard the soldiers coming down the hallway with their shields and their swords rattling against the, the stone walls. And, and he heard all of that. And he heard the key was inserted into the lock. And the key is turned and the tumblers fall into place. And that moment his thought has to be, this is it. There is no excuse there, there's no escape, rather. The, soon my hands and my feet are going to be nailed to a cross. But then a guard says, Barabbas, you're free. They're going to crucify a man named Jesus instead of you. He's going to take your place. Oh, do you think Barabbas would say, oh, I can't believe that's true. No, 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 it can't be true. Why don't you just go back where you came from, shut that door, and when you come back to take me to cross, then I'll go with you. Of course not. Do you think he would be stubborn and resist the guards and they're ready to lead him out in the daylight and let him go free? Is he going to resist? And yet that's what people do every time that the gospel is preached. Do you understand that? Every time that the gospel is preached, people resist the message of Jesus Christ who went to the cross to set murderers free and adulterers free and liars and cheats and thieves and self-righteous people who don't think they need Jesus at all. He died to set all of them free. And what they would rather do is to suffer the punishment of God's wrath than to come to Jesus Christ with simple acts of repentance and faith. Do you think Barabbas would refuse to walk out of that cell unless it is to go to the cross? Oh, I think he would say, thank you for the pardon. And did you know the only thing that you need to do to escape hell is... Look to Jesus. Admit that you've broken his laws and that you should be punished, but you want to change and you want him to save you from your sins. And did you know that to escape the fires of hell, all you need to do is trust Christ, let him go to the cross for you, and pay for the sins that you should die for. You have to say, thank you, Jesus, for the cross. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I need you, Lord. Take me, Lord. Wash me in your precious blood. Cleanse me of my sins. You don't want to keep doing what Hebrews says, trampling the blood of Jesus Christ under your feet. So there's a choice to be made. You, 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 you can go away from here and say, crucify Jesus. Let Barabbas go free. I mean, after all, Barabbas is more like you than Christ, isn't he? Isn't he? Um, if you stay in your lifestyle of sin, and if you insist that your way is right, no matter what Scripture says, no matter what God says, and you think, oh, it's unjust that I should suffer the condemnation of hell. John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, but he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now, very quickly, we often speak of the Bible doctrine that's called substitutionary atonement. And maybe you don't understand what that means. Maybe you don't understand theological terms. But how would you like to see that doctrine demonstrated in practical terms? We see it right here in this story. In the beginning of the message, I said, well, Barabbas, he's the only person who could say on a physical level that Jesus died on a cross that was intended for me. 
Jesus died in my place. That's the doctrine of substitutionary atonement in a nutshell. That Jesus took the penalty of the cross that should have belonged to Barabbas, and that's a physical reality. The only difference in the Bible's doctrine of substitutionary atonement is we have to look at that as a spiritual reality. Look at on the spiritual level that Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for lost sinners that should have to die for their crimes in hell. And Jesus took that punishment so that we wouldn't have to. Now make no mistake about it. God is just. Sin will be punished. God's law will be avenged. Justice will be served. God will be satisfied. The only question is, did Jesus satisfy justice for you? Or have you decided that you'd like to take the penalty yourself? Do you choose his cross? Or do you choose your cross of a burning hell? Barabbas was bad to the bone. He should have died. He should have been on that cross. Barabbas' ways will always lead you into the fires of hell. But Jesus' way leads you to life everlasting. So I have a recommendation for you. Choose Jesus instead of Barabbas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your blessed word. As I said in the message, these stories are not put here accidentally. There's meaning to this. There's something you want us to see. And we all should very clearly see that we are sinners against you, that we deserve the wrath, your wrath. We should be in hell. We should have died on a cross. But you prevented that, or you made it possible for us to escape the wrath of hell by Jesus' death on the cross. Lord, I just pray that people would believe in you. Belief in you is what makes that atonement effectual to us. So, Lord, we just pray that you would speak to someone's heart today. I realize that most of us in here are Christians, but at least we can be reminded of this. There are people out there that are dying and going to hell every day. Maybe we could just take them the story of Barabbas, use that to show them how they need to turn from their sins and how that Jesus died to take the sinner's place. Help us to see that today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.